This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips, and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you, and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe, and within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi-weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. You're listening to Make It, the Indie Film Podcast. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk week and maybe our last Indie Talk of 2023. And with me today is my good friend and co-founder, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello one last time. <sighs> one last time, dude. When you did the countdown, right? The, the people can't see the countdown. The countdown has to happen every episode so we know when to start talking, right? When you did the countdown, I think there was a call back to a previous episode because I know we had to have said it at some point. Maybe we did it <laughs> off camera. We did the countdown and you went five, four, three, two, one. I wanted to say injection, fellas. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> You're the boy. Ooh, ah. There so, you go. I think, I, who kn- I don't know you how know there many two people in the audience knows. That song, like, I feel like... They got to look it up, like, right now. We maybe aged right ourselves on that one. No, it's, dude, maybe. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Boys to Men, and when they did Uh, Ah, uh, it was the hyper song it, for me. <laughs> it's U-H-H, okay? Is it A-H-H. No, it's not Master P. It's not Master P. It's Uh, Ah, not Uh. But it's Uh, Ah, and they did Uh, Ah, the sequel. Extra okay. emphasis on that. Ugh. That's right. On the syllabic. Yes, they did do that. I like the sequel better than the real. The Me first too. One. Oh, 100%. So, but now everybody's got to go listen. And if you can watch the video, go watch the video, the music video. Mm-hmm. I think that if you, some people will listen to that and say, oh, that's that Beyonce song. Oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot yeah. she did that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10, I think it's nine, actually been sampled eight, a few times. Seven, six, five. Yes, you're right. Yep. Yeah, I think I think she sampled it. I want to say the R&B singer Joe may have sampled it. Mm, I have to look. Yeah, and Joe can blow me. Like, I, like he's one of those dudes that maybe because his name is Joe, it just falls <laughs> under the radar. And he's in concert. Forget. He's in but concert it, right now, bro. Yeah, did you I'm know that? He. It's like if you had a magic genie. I guess that's an oxymoron. But if you had a genie (laughs) and you you had three wishes Mm. and one of the wishes is that you could have a beautiful singing voice, the genie might give you Joe's voice. If you're a man, he might, he might, there's like a few voices up there, right? Like, yeah, you know, who else would you would you would you put up there, right? Like you, 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 you like beautiful voice, not not like Pavarotti, where where it's beautiful and powerful, 
but just a beautiful sounding Sean Stockman would be up there. Yeah, of right? course. I uh, Mark Sean Nelson Stockman. would Mark Nelson would be up there. Uh Daryl Cooley would be up there. Yeah, it's it's and, and it's interesting you said Stockman. Rance and that Allen, one. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's like Wayne's powerful. He is very it's powerful. A powerful singing. Yeah, singer. but Sean is just butter. You know, yeah. he just he's butter Silky. smooth. Yeah. Same with Mark Nelson. Kind of uh yeah. who is the uh, babyface's brother? That was an after wait, seven. Wait, Kevon. Kevon. Yeah. Well, Give me Kevon, yeah. man. Yeah, Kevon. Give me Kevon's Edmonds. voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was like Tevin Campbell. His voice was very much like Tevin Campbell. Oh, well, just so but, you know. But maybe better. After seven is in concert too, bro. Like these these folks are all touring right now. Like legit. Yeah. After seven, bro. Like yeah. what? This is a whole, this is a whole <laughs> like I guess we're in that I guess we're in that nostalgic mood because it is the end of the year episode and, and we have to think back Maybe. on the year that was and yep. the things we did so well, the fun we had, the incredible guests we had. Maybe some of the things we got wrong and did wrong too, but you look back on it. I, I still remember speaking of Tevin Campbell, I still remember when he came out recently. I'm like, boy, we knew that. <laughs> you don't even have to you don't even have to come out. Yeah, it wasn't recent, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like when he came out, I was like, come on. Yeah, we knew. Maybe he, maybe he didn't know. Certain, maybe yeah, he, maybe he didn't know. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't. Exactly. Because right. there so. are certain people where you're like, where it's kind of like Bernie Mac with the kid. He's five years old. Asked for milk and cookies. Milk and cookies. Like, yeah, we. There's certain times you just know, even when you don't know. Right, I know right. you don't know, know yet. Yeah, right. I had a friend like that. I had a friend like that. I was like, I'm just waiting. Because yeah. well, hey, look, he's definitely gay. And we talk about the you know changing in zeitgeist. Right, we talked mm -hmm. about that. We talked about like how Will Smith. You know, back in the Fresh Prince days, used to say stuff to Uncle Phil that these days you can't get away with in new media. Right. And it's right. the same thing. Tevin Campbell, then he had to, you know, be a love interest to Ashley. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that's what he had to do at the time. And can we talk? Yeah. I don't think. Does he ever actually say girl in that track? I don't think so. But I think he the might video, I think the video had to show a girl right where now exactly. new zeitgeist, new media. I think he has ample opportunity to just be himself and sing whatever he wants to whomever he wants, very much in the way that Luther came out and decided to mm -hmm. sing whatever he wanted to whomever he wanted. Yeah, and I and Luther's another one, but but I think it's all for the better. Like we get artists like Frank Ocean now because they just get to write honestly instead of having to write into a particular uh, gender. Or in for a particular gender or sex uh, or industry standard or societal standard. I mean, it just gets to be, and the results are so much better. Yeah. Like well, we're seeing it before. everywhere. Like we, like blonde is still, it's seven years old now and it still is super relevant to anybody that likes that genre of music. And, and there are albums like that where people get to be themselves and do their thing. I got a question. You know, is so. that possible in movies? I think, well, wait, wait, think about what I'm saying now. Mm -hmm. So if you did, can we talk? Yeah. But you never said girl. Yeah. Okay. So now you don't know. It could be to anybody. How do you do that in a movie? Right. Where it's all mm -hmm. visual, but at the same time, you're still expressing. You could say, what, what is it? It's just, I don't, I don't have to be so specific. I don't have to be so direct about 
the type of person that I love. Like, do you need, I guess in, in movies, you have to have a physical visual manifestation of that, right? It's almost impossible to do that otherwise. It's a visual mm. medium. Uh, but I think there have been movies that have played with you in that way. Uh, crying game comes to mind, like, like, you mm. know, right off the bat, <laughs> I still remember my brother-in-law Steve's reaction to the big reveal scene in 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 uh crying game okay yeah, yeah. and i said you should have known when culture club started playing something was about to go down <laughs> and uh <laughs> right right so, so you know i think there have been movies that do that but i always talk about this with you which is you know there's a reason and, and, and many others which is the reason why movies are so powerful and in my opinion have the power to change the world is because of this sort of marketing standard and that I've talked about before, where we start with text. If you want to 10x attention right. levels and interest, you go to audio. If you want to 10x from there, you go to video. Well, movies have all three. They not only have all three, but then on top of that, they a good movie does all three at the most optimal level of, of that uh, creation. So you're getting the very best writing, the very best score, and the very best visuals. And so is it a wonder why, it, you know, we shouldn't wonder why people love film so, so, so much. And and that's why this podcast is relevant. That's you why got it, man. You got um, it. That's why, you know, the careers, you know, we've chosen to, to make movies and be part of movies. It's fun to do. And it's, it's a job that does require some responsibility and some taste and some, you know, different things because you know you're wielding a very, very powerful weapon in, in your hands. Speaking of just <laughs> terrible <laughs> weapons in your hand, <laughs> uh -oh, we should, come on, guys, should, let's see what this segue about, is. We should talk about you know Jonathan Majors and weapons as your hands. Is that what you just said? Yeah, yeah. So just these, just these two things. Like, there's actually so much happening in uh, show business that like, I don't know if we can cover it all today. Like it's, right. it's just a whirlwind and, and we haven't had a chance to talk about this stuff. And so it's good to sort of talk about it on this side of, of January one or December 31st and the other side of it. And so just today, and this is apropos to us, but I think also to the audience, Kevin Hart has uh, fought a lawsuit against Tasha K, a podcaster uh, because she is apparently extorting him saying, I'm going to release this interview with your ex assistant. If you don't give me X, Y, Z. And I don't have all the details around what the X, Y, Z are. So or X, Y, <laughs> X, Y, Z are, excuse me. They see, I said Z R. So Z -R. Sound like I, there was a fourth <laughs> letter. Anyway, right. so we'll maybe show note that or, or update it in the next indie talk. But it's interesting because I hadn't thought of it really as a podcaster. I suppose I always knew you could sue anyone, but I hadn't thought of it as a podcaster in terms of you have to be careful about what your guest says on your podcast. And we, we kind of went through this because I think the assistant is also being sued. Like there's a slander thing with her and, and, and maybe also part of the extortion, but it's, it's a weird world we live in because that had never occurred to me when we started doing this podcast four years ago. I, I never thought about that. I am somehow culpable and responsible for what I might ask. Cause it's just a question, right? And then how my guest might respond to the questions asked or what my guest might just offer up 
that can in turn, you know, be slanderous, uh, you know, to the person they're talking about. And, and are we in that space right now in 2023 where everything is so litigious that that's even, that that's become a material thing? Like, I think when I thought if somebody gets onto our podcast and talks some shit about somebody else, then that's just shit talk and it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's just in the realm. There's no value in it. It's not like making it to the top of the, of the sort of uh, uh, marketplace of ideas here. Right. But no, now it's like we live in an age where that stuff gets traded. There's so much going on with this. It really demands that we talk about it a because we're podcasters and we've had people say very interesting stuff on here and we've had to take out stuff that's been and we're open to do that and and we're open to take it out and then on the other hand is what is the culture of i am now going to use the friendship and relationship I had with you through employment or otherwise to hurt you if you don't continue to support me financially. Yeah. And that's a whole, this, so you get, you probably have three different things in there, Chris, right? I think the first one was, I don't think we'd ever be held culpable for what a guest says. I think this case that we're do- talking about right now is straight up extortion. Like they had, they're yeah. holding on to, game tape, right? They got this behind the scenes <laughs> stuff that they're saying, we're going to release it if you don't pay us. That's totally yeah. separate from someone saying something on your podcast and it going out, right? That's just straight up extortion. That is illegal, right? I don't yeah. care if you're a podcaster, whatever you are, that is illegal. And I hope that Kevin Hart gets every last penny. Yeah. If she's doing that, she's <laughs> right. Done. Yeah. Well, as I'm saying, shut it down. It's illegal. Yeah. You should go to jail for that. Like that's not, yeah. that's not okay in any way. So the next thing is like, like we were just talking about, about, you know, people coming on to the podcast and saying things and you and I have always been open with our guests about stuff like that. Like, Hey, if there's something, one, if they say something that we feel is not on brand for us, right. There's, there's a certain thing. There's, there's the Veritas, right. We want there to be truth in what we're saying and what's being said, right. But we don't want, right. But we don't want things that are slanderous being done on our platform. That's not for us. That's something we, we would do. Um, but we also do offer the opportunity for folks to say, hey, I, you know, maybe I spoke out of turn, right? I don't want to say that. That's something I should mm-hmm. take out. And that is something that we should be able to do. That is part of the the editing process, right? Those are things that you put on the cutting room floor for a reason to protect all of those in, involved. Uh, but that last piece that you just mentioned, Chris, about, you know, people thinking they need to be, what, forever on the payroll. And if not, they're going to come out and say stuff. I just think about it like not even that they think they should be forever on the payroll. I think about it like National Enquirer stuff Mm. where it's like, look, we will pay you X amount of dollars to say, and it could be anything. It could be truth. It could be 100% falsehood. But because you were, like you said, you were that close. You had a friendship. You had a relationship. You are someone that our audience, our customer would believe. Yeah. So say whatever you want, but we'll give you a lot of money to say that thing. And you're going to come out and say, it. and you just, you're right. Like, what is this world that we're in where people would be willing to take the money to tell the truth that was behind the scenes, right? Which isn't maybe for anyone to hear right. or to tell a lie just to create some salacious news that we can talk about. It's and crazy. the podcaster 
wants to grow the podcast, wants to grow the show, and you can grow a show. It's been proven by having sort of being the moderator of a fight that's happening in the public square. 100%. And we haven't pursued that. And I think it goes back to some, another concept we talked about a month ago, audience capture. When you have to make content in that way, you are totally sort of captured by your audience. Your audience wants to see uh, a blog fight, basically. Yeah. Where I'm going to give them a blog, you know, fight. I'm going to, and I'm going to grow and be successful. And, and, and the culture has proved that out. I mean, you look Jerry at Springer, Brandy, bro. Jerry Springer, Maury Povich, <laughs> Maury Brandy Povich. on Instagram right now, yeah. academics, you know, and sort of in the hip hop culture, you know, they, they thrive off, I would say the worst part of the culture and then sprinkle in the stuff that they like that they think is dope. And then what I think what happens there is they, they get this sort of twisted credibility. It's like, if it's really good, they'll mention it. Right. Cause they don't mention good stuff all the time. That's right. Of thing. Joe Budden's and you know, another one uh, where I actually respect the fact that he can rhyme, but it, it, you know, like, so th- there is this sort of podcast culture taking place that is encouraging these people to really dishonor themselves and and turn themselves into a caricature. But what about whether you be the guest or the podcaster? Content culture, right? Because well, well here's the, well, here's the other thing too. How crazy and ironic is it that if you if you were witness to a crime, let's say or were witness to some dishonesty or manipulation. The fact that you were complicit with it while at the the payroll, right, may have helped facilitate it. And then when you are let go or it doesn't work out anymore, now you're, you get to play the saint. It facilitated or potentially benefit from it. So you're spot on. And I think we're seeing this in a lot of different places. I guess throughout the celebrity zeitgeist, a lot of this is coming on the heels of Me Too. And then you have some, you know, legal loopholes and things that are happening, especially I think in the state of New York, where there's a timeline, right? Where people are gonna have to bring some of these things up if they wanna sue whoever the, you know, the perp- the perpetrator of these crimes are. But yeah. I think we're seeing a lot of that. It, it's just a weird time, I think. If, and there's two sides of that coin, just like there's two sides of every coin, right? Where it's crazy to watch all of this drama that's happening and all the stuff that comes from behind the scenes. But then the other side of the coin is your up ends have come. Yep. Right? There's that conversation, which is, yes, that stuff was allowed to be behind the scenes before, but it is a new zeitgeist now and things are changing. So now we're seeing a lot more of these things happening where people like you, like you mentioned, Jonathan Majors and other folks in the public eye having to go through, you know, go to court, go through these things. You, you look at Jonathan Majors and you say, okay, well, first of all, how did the media handle it? Well, the media handled it in a way that I think helped perpetuate him getting dropped from, from the Marvel universe and from Disney, their headline said convicted when the reality is, is for the things that we would be grossed out by, the things that we might, uh, you know, disagree uh, with him on and say, hey, that was too much, that was too far, whatever, uh, things that general society wouldn't approve of, 
he wasn't found guilty of those things. Right. It was important to know that he had two misdemeanors and uh, that stemmed from hurting the girl's finger while running away from her. While running away from her. And I, I know a lot of different podcasts have touched on this, so we won't hang on it for a long time. But people need to understand how small misdemeanor assault is. It, it falls as sort of on the level or lower than a fist fight at a bar. A minor fist fight. Is it the kind of thing you get punished for? Yes, that's why it has a title. Is it the kind of thing you're supposed to lose your career over or your job? Your job, potentially your career? No, it is not. Yeah, so let's... It, let's, is, let's, it, let's it does not raise to that level. Yeah, let's dig into that. So Marvel, right? Yeah. Marvel's Disney. So do you think this is just another one of these cases of, as you know, I've spoken on this before about basically what I think everyone's calling. And I, I, I don't want to say everyone. I'll just say a lot of people are calling <laughs> the woke agenda, right? And I'm not talking about the woke agenda in general. I'm talking about the woke Disney agenda. And I think that, you know, as we've seen, I believe that Disney itself has admitted it at this point where they have taken a lot of these causes up, right? They're trying to be the face of, I don't know what, maybe everyone's mm-hmm. feelings, to the yep. point that it is crushing them from the inside out. You were just watching their films and watching them films, their films flounder. Yeah. That one right there. Allowed- that, was, that, was a, that was a little mermaid reference. I, yeah. You know, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, but watching that happen and like watching the Marvel universe fall apart, you know, now Jonathan Majors is out of the Marvel universe. These Disney movies, like what's this latest one? Wish. What is even happening? <laughs> like, who, like who's seeing this movie? Not just wish. I now this this could again this could just be me. I was annoyed by it a little bit, and it's not that it doesn't exist; it's that it doesn't fit. You know those tests where like pick which one does not belong. Yeah, right. <laughs> one of these things does they, not. They have a the new other. inside out coming yep. out, and the new character is anxiety. Anxiety. Yep. Well, anxiety doesn't fit. <laughs> anger (laughs) sadness it's it doesn't they're not the same and they're trying to make it they're trying to rewrite the definition of what anxiety is so that it's normalized and i don't want my kids necessarily to see that they should have anxiety it's just part of who they are part of the exactly but but that's the thing though why anxiety because if you look at the news, man, like everyone has anxiety well, now, especially post-COVID, right? Zeitgeist, yeah. There you go. That's it. You're just trying to double down on the zeitgeist of today. And I think it just, it, it goes really far. And here's the thing. That movie might end up being good. Which one? Wish or Inside no, Out? No, Inside Out too. It might actually mm-hmm. end up being good. I think it's one of those things where, like you said, when you're a cerebral person, Right. Mm -hmm. When you're a Mm -hmm. thinking person, Mm -hmm. one of those things doesn't fit the other. But in Disney's mind, it may not matter. Their whole point might be to just talk about anxiety and this is how they're going to do it. Right. So it might actually speak to some people. My concern is that in the storytelling, they're going to fail if they continue on the same path that folks are on right now, which is don't worry about the story. Worry more about how we can connect with people with anxiety. Yeah, that's the yeah. part that's troubling. And I think it's a I, I'm gonna, look, I'm going to say this. I think it's definitely a Disney 
Marvel problem. I don't know if Star Wars has fallen into that bucket. I think they've been able to avoid it. I think that outside of Disney, we're not seeing that as much. I think there's been a lot of great films Mm -hmm. this year where we don't have to worry about that. I think that there's a lot of great successes. So I think I'm only talking about it because it's Disney. Disney's so big and they do so much stuff and they have so uh, much influence on the market. Uh, So I think that's why we're having that conversation. But the market at large, especially as you look at these other uh, studios, Man, there's there's lots of good stuff that's happening. There's still great writing out there. There's still cinema. Oh, sure. You know, what is it? Oppenheimer man, like that movie made a billion dollars, you know, and that's well, quality. Almost, yeah. yeah, almost Barbie, made a, Barbie yeah, that's did. A, Barbie mm-hmm. did, but that's like quality cinema. That what Oppenheimer's nearly three hours long. Like, yeah. It's still the goodness is still there. I don't want to go too deep on what's bad, what's you know, what Hollywood well, is doing to be properly. Fair, to be fair there was a little bit of agenda slid into to Barbie and Oppenheimer was a biopic. So right there, you know, there isn't, you you don't have to be in the, in in the modern day thinking when you do a biopic and that's great because, because you would hate if somebody did a historical thing. Can you imagine? Um, with within the const uh, the constraints uh, constraints of, of these times, right? Like, right, yep. and, and have to dance around that. But I I think the other thing that's going on, you know, with Disney in terms of, you know, the Jonathan Majors thing, and just they're sort of admitting that that the sort of woke culture or, or mind virus, as some people call it, is changing their brands and stuff. I think the other part of that too is, I think the chicken came before the egg, or vice versa here, where I think some of these Marvel movies aren't working. I think, I think some of the latest ones aren't working. Uh, and they, I don't think they, I don't think they thought Ant-Man was working. So now they get an excuse to not make the movie or to make it in a completely different way with completely different characters. Yeah. You know, I, I, they don't have to, you know, they had Michael Douglas in there and, and they had, you know, you know, that whole cast and maybe, they feel like, okay, it's time to just move away from that. Some of these stories are getting convoluted with the sort of, you know, multiverse thing happening uh, in so many of the different comics. I think that people who loved the flash didn't like it. I was fascinated by the flash just to see how Ezra Miller would do and why it was worth it to hang on to him despite all his stuff. You know, that's a whole other ball game because I, I and, just, and, and was it the lead? Was it cause he was a lead? I uh, maybe. Um, and then, and they, or maybe cause they'd already sunk 80% of the budget into the movie. Like, and it, and it was already ready to go. Those things are likely like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here on a soapbox, you know, with a, with a picket sign and say, Hey, you should have fired Ezra Miller cause you fired Jonathan majors. I think they just want out of that. I think they uh, want I think out you, of it. They want a chance right. to reset. Yeah, there were discussions about it, about yeah. that Kang character and what they were going to do with it. And that might have been, like you said, it's an easy way out. Just get out easy of it, w- move on. It's a side um, character. Yeah, yeah. Make it just and, and but they can, but it's a big enough story where they can make it the reason why they had to take a pivot, not out of the franchise per se, or out of the even movie title or sequel, but out of the way it was constructed from the last movie. The last thing I'll say about this too, and this is the part that isn't maybe film based at all, but is personal. I think for me and you and for everybody listening, the thing that 
um, I think it's at the heart of some of our anxiety uh, when we go out into social spaces, if I, if I can use that word. Uh, for those that really suffer from anxiety, you know, please don't kill me for that. But, you know, I, I, um, cause it, it is real and, 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 um, uh, I've certainly had my fair share of, um, panic attacks before, um, that I can speak to at, at, at a different time. But, but I will say this, when you add up the sum total of the things that are happening at reports that like 20 year olds aren't having sex and the birth rate is underneath replacement in almost every country, or you look at just sort of the social interaction being lower than before loneliness at an all time high suicide at a high, right? All those things come back to one thing. And it's the fact that almost all of your communication is recorded somewhere and can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion if you don't walk this perfect line that is impossible for any person to spend their entire life walking. Because this story started at the same place, the um, Anthony Edwards for the Minnesota Timberwolves, mm. same place his started. Was he doing wrong by stepping on his wife and got another girl pregnant? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Young millionaire. I'm not making an excuse for him, but yeah, traveling, got another girl pregnant. We've seen it before is my point. Yes. This has happened before. <laughs> it will happen and it happens again. to people who are not celebrities and not millionaires. Just right. Yeah. Right. He paid this girl a large amount of money, I believe. And she still released their entire text thread about the abortion he wanted her to have. No one expects that kind of deal-making to happen. <laughs> no one expects that type of this betrayal at scale that basically now has to be a footnote of his bio when he dies, or potentially could be if he isn't able to overcome it with his, he is an incredible player, his incredible play. The Jonathan Majors thing. This is a girl that was obviously incredibly obsessed with him. And they had a real relationship and there was obviously real feelings and caring and love there. Imagine being in a relationship where there was real feelings, caring and love and that person to either get back at you or get money releases video and text of, and then, and then, and then puts a charge on you. This is, this is problematic. So it goes back to the Will Smith thing, Kevin Hart thing. It all kind of stems from the same beast, which is there is this new currency provided to you by your local technologist. By the way, Jason Calacanis said this in his newsletter this week. So kudos to Jay Cal and Jason, Jason Calacanis. He wrote that technologists don't have any respect for IP. They don't care about your IP. If, if they, they have a, he said, there's a saying in, in Silicon Valley, if I can index it, it's mine. And it's like, that's terrible, man. That's terrible for content creators. And so the reality is, oh, you have a secret. Oh, you're doing this thing on the side. That's private. That get it out there and you can make some money doing it too. You can get some 15 minutes of fame doing it too. So I just want to, I just want to mention that, that, that the root of all four of these things we're talking about it's the same. Yeah, but let's take that real quick and then we'll talk about data, right? Because that's what indexing is, right? Mm -hmm. Indexing all of this data. If I got it, I can use it. 
I can monetize it. I can do whatever I want with it. So Netflix just released their data. Mm-hmm. So it begs a lot of questions, right? I mean, is if there's For this the treasure trove of data that we, maybe the general community have access to, then there's a lot of opportunity there, potentially. So mm-hmm. if you can get your hands on the data, you can look at it. Maybe you find out what people are most interested in. Because I'm all, always questioning, right, when you turn on Netflix and it gives you like the top 10. Yeah. You know, and I see that. We've, you know, questioned, I've always, we've questioned the validity yeah, of exactly, what's but number it's like, one. But yeah, why, why is it number one? You know, why is it number mm-hmm. one in America today? Is it because you want me to watch it or because people are actually watching? And I don't, I don't know if that's, you know, what the answer is. Is it marketing or is it data? Exactly. Yeah. So now the data is out. And I don't know who's going to be looking at it, for one. That's my big well, thing. Well, the, like, the first of all, well, the guilds. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is this is this is a requirement of the new WGA SAG after deals. Yeah, and that's great. They're going to look at it. So for our our audience, I'm curious. Like, how do they get their hands on it? Like, will our will the, will the filmmakers themselves have access to the data, or is this going to I go think, through the guilds yeah, and then? Okay, because that's the thing is that you know here's what we're going to talk about with data is that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a data guy as well and, you know, other lives. And one of the cool things about data is that you can pretty much make it say whatever you want it whatever to say, you want it to say. <laughs> if yeah. you're not releasing the raw data. Right. That's the key. So I'm curious as to how many levels of filtering or dashboarding or visualization or summarization all that data is going to go down before it gets to, let's say, the real people, right? The filmmakers. Because I think yeah. this is the type of data that should be in the hands of the independent filmmaking community to understand what people are actually consuming. Because that's going to help them not necessarily do what you said, Chris, where we talked about like the audience capture stuff where you're just making content for other people. But if you have something that you're interested but, well, in... You're, you're making content for the demand of demands, other people right. instead They're, of what right. you really are about and what you really are interested in. Exactly, yeah. which could be in demand, right? But yeah. it'd be good to know that. Maybe it's good to know. I don't know what the data says, but it would be very interesting to know if there was geographic data associated mm. with it, right? Demographic data associated with it. So now if you're someone who's making a certain type of film in the middle of Chicago and you realize that the people who really like your stuff are living in new york that could be really helpful for you to get your message your word your voice your your films out there so there could be a lot of good stuff i'm just curious i don't, I don't know, know if you know that, that, how they're no, no, that, gonna that release data, it. that that data isn't included it's just it's straight up viewership data title you know who who made it and how many they do it just like amazon they do it just like Tubi. they do it just like you know the distributors do it where they just give you minutes uh, but why, minutes, why does that, why watched. do we care? Why do we care? Now here's not, here's why I'm asking, right? Like you can well, the, give me your answer. But, the guilds, but, the know, but, here, but here's why yeah. I'm asking. Cause they, I, they have pay schedules well, aligned to it. Yeah. Right. But here's why I'm asking. If Netflix pays a flat fee to license the film mm-hmm. for a certain period of time, they, they are, they then are why does it again, matter? by the way. Yeah. No, right. They're, then, they've then gone away from it, making their own stuff completely. They, then why does it matter if 10 people watched it or 50,000 people watched it? I already paid you your check. Right. So residuals. Yeah. Residuals but, is the reason. Yeah, but yeah. that's what but I'm saying. Like you talking about the residuals. No, no. I paid you $400,000. I paid you a million dollars to license it. 
I mean, you don't yep. get extra. There's no per hour, per minute. There's no extra. No, I'm going to license it for two years for $1 million. You're going to get a check for $1 million. So now if that's my business model, what do, what are you going to do with hours watched? Well, it's where I, think it's, I think it's I think it's minutes watch, but it's the actors and the writers get paid a different schedule than the producers and the studio. And so the writers and the actors, unfortunately, and some people will hate that I say this, but they really are sort of and have historically been at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to the money flows in film. And so that million dollars doesn't go to them, right? Like they get paid for a work for hire. If you're an actor and you're mm-hmm. a SAG actor, you get the SAG minimum or whatever you can negotiate. Uh, that's another thing we, that's another thing that's happening in the world. Uh, Taraji crying on the, crying about the pay. Like, yeah. so, so they get paid that writers get paid, you know, their minimums or higher as a work for hire. And then the studio or the producer uh, then owns that work, right? But those writers, if they're union, and this is one of the benefits of being a, a union writer or actor, you do get paid uh, residuals down the line uh, for your for you being in a thing or having writ- written a thing. And so that's what the whole strike was about. It was just about saying, look, these studios are getting tons of money because they're licensing or the, or the films being purchased by Netflix, but we're not getting any down the line money. And, and the shit's like number one and it's, Netflix it's, like, look, in, in it's world. okay. Look, look, you can have the data. We paid the check. We did what we were supposed to do. So like, if, I, so, so, that's where they, so that's where they might fudge the data, right? Because if, if the viewership is, doesn't reach a certain threshold, then they don't have to pay additional residuals based on the new contract. But when, when, what I'm saying is, and that's to be, it'd be good to look at it. But what I'm saying is that Netflix doesn't pay residuals. They're paying a check. You get a million dollars for two yeah. years. There's no residuals. There's no nothing. That was I the paid, old world. Yeah. I paid you a check. You got the check. How you, whom I paid, distribute that check. That's on you. I paid well, the usually check. You have to, <laughs> yeah, they, they usually split it based on the producer credits and then the executive producers, the, the investors. The person who got paid but, has but the, to but distribute. The strike, but the strike was about, <laughs> but, but in that would never be a writer and an actor is what I'm trying to get to. Right. Yeah, in the distribution. And so yep. therefore there was a strike yep. because these actors and writers in the non-Netflix model would be paid residual. So, so right. if that if Shawshank Redemption came on for a one millionth time on TBS, yep, you know Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman get a check. That's right. And forgive me for not knowing who wrote that movie, but the writer of that movie gets a check, right? And then that's where you famously get into Hollywood accounting, where you have the story of the guy who wrote, I think, the original Men in Black or co-wrote it, and still hasn't been paid one residual dime no, from a movie that's made out the big. money from the pot. Well, because the studios then use studio, you know, Hollywood accounting, which is basically where you take the profit. See, it's all coming into one account, all the profits from all the films, right? So let's say I'm Warner Brothers Discovery. I have all these film titles, right? And I'm getting all this money from all of them. Well, they're all like little individual LLCs that I own and accounts receivables that I have on a big spreadsheet probably. And let's say 50 of the 
51 films are all losing money hand over fist, but I have this one movie that's making a hundred X its budget. I can take the profits legally from that movie and apply them to the losses against the losses of the, of the bad 50 bad movies, or I can basically bundle that the losses plus the profits. Right. So I have this really one successful movie and 50 really bad ones that are, that are losing money. Altogether, it shows that I made no money. I am not profitable. And so therefore, after expenses, after you know all the EBITDA stuff, uh, if you're publicly traded, guess what? Sorry, writer of Men in Black, I have no money left for you. I, I've paid out, you know, I've paid everybody their percentages. I've, I've paid the expenses. And so uh, the, the example is because some set blew up in Saudi Arabia, you don't get your money for a movie you did that's <laughs> successful five years ago. Yeah. That's, that's so that's, so what Netflix did is it, what right. And so what Netflix did and Amazon has done is really simplified Hollywood accounting by saying, you know what, in the event that we buy a movie from you, we'll just, or co do a co-production. We'll just buy it outright. Like we'll just pay the, the fee for it. And we're not going to pay any residuals because we're not going to release our data. Right. So no one's going to know how much something was watched. And in the sense that we're going to license something, then I'll pay you a licensing fee. Uh, and I'm not releasing any data. So you won't know how much it was watched. There's nothing to pay. Well, now basically the top 2% in both the writer's guild and the actor's guild are like, you know, SAG after are like, no, dude. I should be getting paid millions of dollars for this because you're making billions of dollars from this movie. And that's what the release of the data is, is, is really about. I mean, and that's why there is a question of, is the data real? Is it fake? Is it cherry picked? I think what would be probably better is if I, we just have like, let's just take a look at it. We can just look at the actual report and what it says. So, what we watched in Netflix engagement report, December 12th, 2023. And it just kind of says exactly what it is that the report's going to show. I downloaded this report. I have it. I, I'll, in earnest, I have not looked all the way through it. Uh, it's an Excel file, but it says starting today, we will publish what we watched a Netflix engagement report twice a year. This is a comprehensive report of what people watched on Netflix over a six month period, including hours viewed for every title, original and licensed, watched for over 50,000 hours is an example of the data they'll share. So I guess if it's under 50,000 hours of watching, I guess it doesn't fall into the contract. Or good good times, man. Good times. This is what I'm talking about. Yep. Summarizing the data. You're picking a select subset of the data. Cherry picking. Yeah. Yep. So I, good on them. You know, let's, let's look at it and see. Maybe it'll tell us what we already know. But 18,000 titles in this report, representing 99% of all viewing on Netflix and nearly 100 billion hours shooting. By the way, over the last clearly, six months, it is... Yeah, 100 billion hours viewed in the last six months. Clearly, it is by hour and not by minute, like I said earlier. But I could have swore I saw minutes viewed. This is hours viewed. I was wrong. So, boom, there you go. 
And um, as we dig into this, maybe we'll put the data into our newsletter. Yeah, and it's share all good. maybe I, the top ten. It depends on the what newsletter that if, comes out. Depends on what they're showing. Again, I'm just really curious to see if there's would, actually would any an indie value. film even make this list? And even if it got over fifty thousand views, would an indie film make this list? Is the real question because some of those actors, some of those writers might not and likely are not union members. So is it even apropos? And so, and therefore, would they even add it? Would they, would they want to say that some non-union, non-studio, <laughs> non-network show has over 50,000 hours watched? So that will be interesting to see. Yeah. I think to put a, a nail in it before we bring in producer Papa Bear with a little bit of things we should know to end the year here, this other big reason to either spoof or fudge the data or share it because you're doing so awesome is wall street. They're a publicly traded company. Literally when they release this report, let's say they re release it. They're obviously going to release it in Q2 and Q4, the two biggest quarters of the year of any year. So this is your Q4 release and this is going to boost their stock price. If it's viewed uh, positively by uh, the street. And so, when that boosts up, you're talking about billions and billions of dollars. There's no better way to raise capital, raise uh, the financing of your company than to have Wall Street buy into what you're selling. So, all right, producer Papa Bear, come on in here. Come on down. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going great, It's man. going well. It's going great. Uh, you look cozy. I am. <laughs> I am. Thanks. Appreciate that. Good observation, Chris. You're right, right, right. All right, what you got for us, Papa Bear? Well, you know, we're at the end of the year, which is always Oscar season. It's a award season, and mm. it begins with the nominations. And, uh, you know, nominations separate the films out, you know. So what I have for you today is what is and remains the only movie to win every category it was nominated in, which included 11 nominations. So this is my annual reminder that the golden trophy is actually a silhouette of Oscar Michaud. And so that, that is one of the hardest working independent filmmakers happens to be a black guy. Hardest working independent filmmakers of all time, and they really honor him, Oscar Micheaux, the spirit of filmmaking, of indie guerrilla filmmaking. They say he died with the film reel in his hands. So he was he was all in. And by the way, I have I have a little bit of a of a problem. I'm not apoplectic about it, but is it Oscar season? The, the award show is, keeps getting pushed further and further. It's, I think it's happening in May this year or next year. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like it keeps getting pushed further and further back. I have to check to be to be sure, and and maybe producer Papa Bear, you can come in and, and and clean me up on that. But it does feel like it gets pushed further and further back. I think the award season really starts because we take. December and January all for the most part, it feels like in, in the movie industry. So right now I've been inundated with four year consideration, FYC uh, movies. They're not doing the mail outs anymore. That's not environmentally friendly. 
Yeah, I don't know if that's a woke thing. I just think that's a good thing. We didn't necessarily, there are some, I will t- tell you this, there are some people who are really complaining about not having the physical screeners anymore. Like mm. they really wanted, and it's like, maybe they're building up their doomsday collection. I don't know. Uh, you know, a la uh, leave the world behind uh, fame. They're building up their doomsday collection of, uh, of uh, DVDs. But I'm all for it. I'm a big Apple TV person. I know a lot of people use Roku. I'm a big Apple TV person. Turn on the app. Watch all these movies. I watched Ferrari last night. It was fantastic. Tangent <laughs> like, I digress. Over. I digress, right? I digress. Yeah, yeah. 11, right. 11 Oscars. I'm going to go with Ben. No, Her. 11 nominations. Or 11 nominations. They won all of them, though. Yeah. And everyone was one. Yeah. I'm going to go Ben Her. The- Nick, what do you have? And then we'll get clues, Papa Bear. Clues. Titanic. Or if you're down to give me who Titanic's a good guess. Uh, okay, so producer Papa Bear, do you have any what clues? Did, what did for you us? say, Nick? Titanic. Did you Titanic? That's good. That's good. I just um, said that. <laughs> I said Ben Hur. Yeah. I just said it was a good guess. Yeah. Okay. So but, uh, well, one clue. Neither of you are correct. Uh, oh, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Is that they, here are the nominations. Best Picture, Director, Adapted <laughs> Screenplay, Art Direction, Makeup, Costume Design, Film Editing, Original Score, Original Song, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. Is that... Narrow it down. Is yeah, that, yeah. I, no, I, I have a second. Tell guess. you whether it's Titanic. I, I or have ben a second. I have a second guess. <laughs> Cleopatra. Oh, okay. She's she's nowhere in the mix. God dang it! I know, right? Nick, do you have a second guess? It wouldn't happen today, so you know it's not a modern movie. At least that's what I think, because. There would be uproar about one movie getting all the winning all the things. You want another clue? Did, wait, but wait. Back in the day, people it, were more honest. They're like, did this it, really was better than and it's everything I gonna, else. I was gonna say it's got to win it all. Let me just let me ask this because maybe things change over time. And it's did it it's win? It's the only film that's won everything it's been nominated for. Yeah, did it? Did it win everything in the same year? Yeah, <laughs> I was just wondering, man. That like, would be you weird know, if it didn't, it, you're right. Be, but I'm just, yeah, go ahead. The year is 2003. Oh. Wow, dude. So not so not like, super far away from Titanic. That's what, yeah, but I'm saying like, because uh, I'm just thinking about films that were that fantastic, and now I can't think of one that had a best original song. Like that's the key there. Like. Wait, point. that was that was one of the ones best original song, right? Best original song. See, original okay. score. So we're not. Yeah, the score is and one thing. Sound mixing. The score is one thing because I'm oh. thinking like Avatar, but like what? Well, there was no song that I remember from that movie. In uh, best original song and score. That. This isn't an Avengers movie, it, is it? Can 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 I have a clue? Uh, is it a <laughs> is it is it a musical? No, it's not an Avengers movie, is it? 
I'd be mad. I'm like, because, you know, no, they, one came no, out could, every year since the year 2000. No, no, no. And our <laughs> first Iron Man was 2009. So it's not going to be Marvel. There was the, that was 2009. <sighs> and, then, and then they had the, uh, they had the Fantastic Four earlier, but th- th- those weren't good enough to win everything. I will help out the guess about Ben-Hur. William Wyler's 1959 epic rendition of Ben-Hur was nominated for 12 awards and picked up 11. I will. Missing, out, <laughs> missing out on best adapted screenplay. Wow. But it swept oh my the God. With I best knew picture, Ben-Hur best was director, close. Best actor, best supporting actor, as well uh, as a raft of technical I knew Ben Hur was close. I knew it. I knew it was. Now, wasn't that a winner of our one of our previous things you should know? I don't know if it was. Maybe it was Ten Commandments. I think is what it was. But you know, both are Charleston Heston, uh, along with Planet of the Apes. Loved him in that because he gets a little bit crazy in that. Two thousand three. Uh, we should know this. All right, uh, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Forest? No, that was nineties. Chris, oh Chris, Chris. Okay, so let me see if did you just let me see. If, uh, yeah, I, I did, but I want to cheat for you. I'm fe- I'm cheating forward, bro. So here's the thing. See, so I, you can take I, it. You cheated. I, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying to get you to answer the question because I don't know. I wasn't going to get the answer. So here's the thing. So if if I'm right, if I get my data right, right? This is this is the data. All right. So mm-hmm. Annie Lennox. Was singing this song. That's the first clue. Yeah. Sweet dreams are made of these. That's right. All right. The next clue is that Sweet the title dreams. of the song is Into the West. I still wouldn't get it off of that. Like, can, can you guess this? Like, this is so obscure. I'm like, I can't Into even. Into the West. Like, tend to, I feel like I tend to know what the best movies of every year was, but. 2003 just happens to be 21 years ago and just far enough away where I'm like, what was a really great movie in 2000? I know, but I'm like trying to figure out a, like a really good clue to this. Cause now that I know what it is, like it really won all those things. And that was the original song. Like I could get score. I could get VFX. Like, I wanted to say Romeo and Juliet, no, but no, it's not right. Like all those things make sense. So I know it didn't win. I know it didn't win all of them. <sighs> I know it didn't. Wait, 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 Chris, Chris, Chris. It's as big as Titanic. It's as big as Avatar. Like think about like big, huge, big budget, huge budget. movies. Yeah, yeah. And and it that's might, what I was thinking about. And it might hit you because that timing. But it's and it's something. Yeah, I just I, I'm kind of floored. So anyway, when I think about 2003, I think about we just came out of the Matrix era, right? We just came out of the Matrix. We're still vibing off the Matrix. Matrix Two was coming out. Those were big movies, and that was sort of the the feeling of the time. And the thing about the Matrix is it introduced a new way to film, right? And so we were exposed to a lot of that type of uh, filming, you know, with this sort of hundreds of cameras shot kind of thing. So how about this? How about I give this, this is the last clue. And then Papa Bear, you can and say then what it Paul is. Bruce has got it, yeah, he's exactly. Got it. So think about it. Like I just said, Titanic, I said, Avatar, but think about it as an epic and think about it as a saga. 
Am I am I spot on there, Papa Bear? That that works. So epic yeah, saga. I think that will. Help. Yeah, what is it, Papa Bear? I'm drawing a blank. (laughs) It's the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I own that movie. Dude, (laughs) it doesn't matter. Like I I own the movie. It never would even even thought of it, especially because of best original song. Yeah. Like that, I not I never would have known like given it that. The score, VFX, direction. There's only all one those things. clue that would have gave me there was two there was maybe one mm. to two things that would have given me that. And one of them would have been the name Peter Jackson. So if you said Peter Jackson, be like, oh, got it. Or if you just said um, you know, one of the character names right, from right, the right. actual movie, I would have yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's or if you just said uh, El, uh if you just said ring. Oh, I thought about time. I thought about playing with a so, little ring on the thing, but that's like you know, too spot on, too on the nose. All right, that's uh, a very good one. Papa that's Bear. a very that's, good one. You should, we should um, know that. That's that's the thing. We those should are know. things we should know, bro. Well, as a bonus, can you tell me what three films are tied for the most nominations? What three films are tied for the most nominations? Ben Hur would be one. Yeah, and how many is that? Ben Hur would be one. Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings would be is two. two. And then number three is going to be the Ten Commandments. Okay. Well, you know, I told you in the question about Lord of the Rings that they had eleven nominations. Correct. Yeah. And so they won them all. You said these three. Yep. These three that are tied have, have 12 nominations. Oh, snap. <laughs> so, it's not, so it's not been her then. It's not been her. Because Ben Hur had 12. It's not Lord right? of the Rings. All right, what are they? All About Eve, 1950. Titanic, 1997. There you go. Okay, maybe yeah. not all back in the day. Titanic. And one of your favorites, La La Land, 2016. La La Land. <laughs> that uh, Dr. Evil? <laughs> <laughs> That's what, uh, what's your name said when she said that they won movie of the year and she was wrong. And she was wrong. Yeah. That's, that it was, was terrible. Moonlight. Oh, yeah, that, that was, that was terrible. Yeah. 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 How'd that she happen? The car How'd that happen twice? She just looked at the cameras like, La La Land. How'd that happen twice in the same year? One with Miss America and then again with the Oscars. Come on, bro. That can't happen twice in the same year. Uh, anyway, price, price. Uh, what's the name of the company that does it? Price, price Waterhouse, Waterhouse Coopers or something like that. They were the ones I think maybe in charge of both. I don't mm. want to slander them, but that was, um, <laughs> wait, think they wait, were in charge let's of- take that out, Chris. We're going to take that out. Speaking so as to not get you in trouble. Yeah. Thank you. Spe- <laughs> speaking of, speaking of slander and thank you, producer probably that was incredible and a great yes. way to end 23 with the things we should know. Um, there was this AI that made up links. I want to be, be sure about this. It produced false facts and false URLs about a person asking about themselves. Oh, ChatGPT does that. Yeah, it completely hallucinated or worse. They're calling it a hallucination. To me, that's worse because if I ask about that person, it's going to tell me, basically it said this person was a racist. 
he was this, he was that, and then had links to back it up, like as if it had receipts. But when you click the links, the links didn't go anywhere. Oh, dude. So they were completely made up. Trust. I've experienced that myself. I do that. Like I was looking somebody up. You've GPT'd yourself? Not myself, but I've looked up other people. And it gives me quotes. And and gives me the links. And I have, out, out of a list of 10 quotes, 10 links that go along with those 10 quotes, all 10 of the links have been broken. I'm like, that's how what I'm are saying. you that's getting why, data That's why I'm so glad links. we didn't let go of our, <laughs> our, of our researcher. Right. Oh, man. We need the human researcher. Yeah, because the thing is, is that even these things are being, they're being trained, right? They're being trained on a set of yeah. data. And I think that's how what ChatGPT is getting in trouble right now with the New York Times is that New York Times is saying, hey, y'all took our stuff without asking and gave it to ChatGPT to index all this stuff. And now you're putting our stuff out there, which can then be repurposed and re-engineered for whatever, right? Anybody who goes into ChatGPT right now can access that data, not knowing that they're accessing it, but that is a subset of data. And that's the thing. It's like, so you trained it on these subsets of data, but what did you train it to do when it did not have a subset of data? So when I'm asking mm-hmm. you about this person and I say, give me quotes, did you train it to give me a, hmm, what would you, a reasonable, no, let me say reasonable. Did you train chat GPT to give me a believable response by any means necessary? Ooh. The Malcolm X of AIs. Bro, that's dangerous. Because now the AI is saying, no, 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 no. It's not that I'm supposed to deliver information or the truth. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to deliver mm-hmm. content. That is mm-hmm. my job. And the, it is not up to me. Hey, look, I just gave it to you. It's up mm-hmm. to you to trust me. It says in the bottom right, fine print. You know, chat GPT may hallucinate, make sure you validate and verify everything that came on and say, look, man, if I got to validate and verify everything that comes out of this, why am I using it? Why don't I just. Right. So so honestly, that's where I think chat GPT is less valuable for information discovery or knowledge discovery. And it's actually more valuable for the thing that it actually is, which is generative AI. So if you want to produce some content in a certain type of voice or whatever you want to do, and you or you have a subset of data that you want it to use, then that's what it's good for. It's good for generating content. I think it's that's great it. as the new Google search as well, as long as you use it to search for objective things and not subjective things. Yeah, what's four plus four? When you talk about <laughs> yeah, when you talk about like sort of like, okay, tell me about this person. Well, now that there's a subjectivity to that. But the other day I just opened it up on my phone and said, I'm, I'm doing this like retro build of my arcade machine in my house. And so I bought a raspberry Pi and like a, that's a Linux thing. I bought like a, 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 a display board, um, you know, all the cables, all the components, new controllers and buttons. Like it's a whole big project I'm undertaking for whatever reason. And w- there's pain involved in that build. And like, you can ask GPT directly, like what, 
what should the pie be doing in this instance, right? And it will give you a detailed response in two seconds. So it's far superior to a Bing or Google search where you would have to click through the links and read each article and then try to compile and aggregate them to get that answer. But in terms of what's going on with them and with, with the New York Times, it's it comes down to some of the objective stuff, but also the subjective stuff. And the reason it's so big is because I think the New York Times has a really incredible case. And I wanted to bring this up in this conversation because we talked about this at the onset of AI um, earlier this year. So we were one, I think maybe one of the first podcasts, even the previous year to talk about it. And we've been using AI in some form or another since 2017, if not earlier uh, with, with even just Grammarly. Right. And it's like, yo, we said that lawyers are lining up, chomping at the bit, you know, getting themselves ready for massive lawsuits. We heard that from our lawyer. We heard it from Kevin Christopher, where it's like, yeah, this is all kinds of IP infringement. And once we figure out how to set the case up, we're just going to go after all these guys. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this, if, if the New York Times wins, and I'm not being melodramatic here, if they win, it could be the end of AI. Well, I don't think it'll be the end of that. It'll be the end of uh, tools like ChatGPT that leverage other people's content without their consent. Because the thing yes. is, is that, like you said, we've been leveraging these tools, but we leverage it on, on our own content. And I think that mm -hmm. not only is that the best use case because it's controlled content, uh, but it's also to... I should say use uh, you, uh, AI as we know it then, right? right? Yeah. And, and again, it's the depends on what you're using it for. And there's AI, AI, yeah, AI has so many different flavors, right? Again, chat GPT is generative AI. Yep. It is not mm -hmm. necessarily, I think it's coupled with knowledge discovery, which is a different type of AI, but it melds the two and then does something in between, right? Knowledge discovery mm -hmm. is now being sent out to the world of things, the internet of things, where the Internet of Things doesn't just have knowledge, it also contains opinion and it contains straight up falsehoods, right? So you're we're out there looking for stuff and you're using ChatGPT to find it. It's not a curated set of content that you're leveraging. And I think that's where we need to go is that I think ChatGPT showed us basically the world of the, you know, the possible. Like, look at what it can do. But now everyone needs to have basically their own curated version of chat gpt it's like having the chat gpt of wikipedia the chat gpt of encyclopedia britannica the chat gpt of raspberry pi the the chat gpt of python knowing that that is a curated set of content that is being managed by a central either set of individuals or a community that's where the true value is going to be going forward so we'll see. We'll see what happens with New York Times. I think that's going to be. Yeah, you're right, though. Either way, if they win it, game changer. They've, they've got open AI dead rights, which means that, you know, any other AI that's been using that data set will be culpable as well. AI, open AI isn't going to want to go down and be the only one to go down with the ship. Yeah. Take it out, drop it, drop the content and then pay up. That's what the, yeah, the damages is the yeah. question, right? The, what, are, what are they yeah, suing yeah. for? What, is, what are the damages and what will it mean for how AIs learn, you know, going forward? Because to me, you're right. When you're using it to 
on your own content or you're using it in a specific way, it's a superpower. It's amazing. And it is 10x superior to tools that you have out there now or or sort of the labor of doing it yourself. You know, we talked about how the dirty little secret is that WGA writers love AI. <laughs> and it, it helps with writer's block and it and it helps with outlining and summarizing and and log lining and 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 doing treatments and whatever all the little work that happens around your story and script in order for you to pitch it and sell it and get work. You know, it is helpful, you know, in that in that way. I look at what's what's interesting to me too is to look at the intentions and the sort of very, very quiet arms race that's been happening in the background where it was between the lawyers and AI companies and, and learning models, which is, can we get to AGI, artificial general intelligence, before the lawyers start to sue? Why? Because an AGI, to be termed AGI, not AI, you have to be able to learn from yourself. And so I think these companies were hoping they would get to AGI first. And then they, then the lawsuit wouldn't matter because then their actual sentient thinking machines and no longer need to scrape. They just have the knowledge they already took and they can learn from themselves and you can take your data and go where you want to with it. But it looks like the lawyers beat them to it. Yeah, but the funny thing about that is, like you said, it can it can have its knowledge and it can run well in the world of data, in the world of technology. If the suit, if the person wins the suit, they can say, well, you need to delete that data. So that's the beauty of it, right? That's interesting. You can go Dick. into the brain of the bot and mm-hmm. you can remove that knowledge. Right, yeah. you are no longer allowed to have that. You can't. There's nothing you do. You can't that replicate a, it. Is that of an AI or of an AGI? Well, a technology period of, of of either. The AGI may not allow you to remove the data. Well, I think that's different. If if it's like <laughs> completely not only sentient but in control of itself, that's different, right? Because <laughs> he's running around. Nah, yeah. bro, you're not gonna get me. <laughs> you're not, you'll turn, don't turn my switch right. off. Exactly. Yeah. You're ducking and dodging. But yeah, no. I think uh, I think that's the idea is that you can take it away from it. And I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that's going to be uh, the game changer. And I think that actually will be a good thing for the use of AI. Because as a writer, uh, It'll the stop intention, scaring people for, forever, though, too. Like, I think it's a good thing, too, because people are scared of AI. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the fact that it's generating things. And it will not scare people as much. Yeah, I think Especially it's, about it's, losing their jobs or being irrelevant. Yeah, because it can do it on its own or it can do as, as well as you. But again, or I think the, the idea, the idea behind, you know, generative AI uh, is that it should be taking your content. So it's like a Grammarly, like you'd mentioned. It's like, hey, look, I've written this and I'm not a good writer, right? I'm a good storyteller. Just take that as an example. So I'm a good storyteller, but I'm not a good writer. But I know I need to get to that next level. And no one's going to invest in me or trust me if my writing is bad but everyone tells me mm-hmm. my stories are great so let me take my story put it into a grammarly let's just say put it into an ai and just say write this better and it mm-hmm. knows what better is it knows what type of voice it knows these types of things and it will take your story 
and just put it in a format that is more palatable to someone who's going to be editing, you know, that, you know, looking at that content. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is your content. That that part is fine, but the but the the implications of a New York Times win are are far reaching for the film industry, right? Because you can no longer say, write like Aaron, write me a script in the style of Aaron Sorkin, because now Aaron Sorkin has precedent to say, nope, it learned from my scripts that are already out there. I will sue you. You not use my style. Now the dream of the studio heads to have an AI actor in there instead of an actual actor. Those have now flown the coop of New York Times wins. Why? Because those faces that AI generates are generating from faces and images that exist from real people uh, in the, in the world. And so if they're not able to scrape Google anymore, because Google might say no, or only certain AIs that Google owns can scrape, then what? So, yeah, but I hear, but here's the challenge, Chris. Here, here's big what and I wide think arranging they're arranging for, yeah, for, for filming. But I think here's what they're going to do though. They're not going to be able to take, I don't think they're going to be able through any lawsuit to take away what it has learned. I think mm. you can only take away the data that it has access to because the New York times, I don't believe is as concerned about what it has learned from their data, I think it is more concerned about the reuse of its copyright, right? You're now taking yeah. our content and now allowing people to use our content. The content. And charging them for it. Exactly. And the content is what we're concerned with. It's not the training. Because what you learned about how a sentence should be formatted or how an article is best formatted or how the New York times formats an article. Those things I think are, they're not going to be able to take away. So I don't think they'll be able to take the training. They'll say, no, take out our content. We don't want it in there. No right. one should be able to reuse, abuse, recycle our stuff. Remove it. Yeah. And again, shout out to, to Jason Calacanis uh, on this. Cause in his newsletter, he wrote, that basically the problem is New York Times is doing all the work, but both right. companies get a subscription for it. Yep. That's right. <laughs> 100%. Like, as simple as that. And anyone else who wants to regenerate content based off of New York Times' content at large, you know, this that they pay to produce right. <laughs> and then charge charge their customers exactly. a anyway, for yeah. it. Somebody else gets to charge a subscription for it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Did, so let's let's talk about then. let's talk about just really briefly before we wrap. Yep this year i think there are some episodes and some and some guests that have stuck out uh, we've enjoyed all the talks all the fan support all the listener support it's been awesome every guest has been great whether it's been a formal interview or or any talk takeover it's been a blast of, of a year and we have so much more in store as we do every year going going into 24 i, I think just from a popularity standpoint I have to give a shout out to Linda Nelson, who uh, yep, 100%. that interview that interview has been watched and listened to so so many times uh, at this point. And so, what that tells me is, you know, first of all, Linda is very popular, but and and has credibility as the CEO of, of Indie Rights. But you know, it also tells me that people are finding it valuable. Yeah, that so they're getting stuff out yeah, of it. Let me add so to that's, that. That's that's what I love. So let's talk about some other valuable pieces, Nick. I want to add to that one because okay. you said it. You said that she's 
popular, which is true, um, credible as a CEO. But I want to add mm-hmm. one more thing to it that I believe is also true that I want to give uh, Linda Nelson her flowers on, which is I think she's highly respected. So mm-hmm. n- it's one thing to put the content out. But then people are actually seeking her out because they respect what she has to say and she yep. respect what she they respect what she's done for the independent filmmaking community. And I'll, I'll tell you, man, that's I'm not saying this hard to come by from a respect from the independent filmmaking community, but you don't see a lot of and I would say central figures in the independent filmmaking community. I think that's the thing yeah. that I think is is so big because any content that you see that she's done, any podcast that she's been on, anytime we see her on YouTube, we see that is highly watched because she is highly yeah. respected. And I can only imagine. I just I just said these you know these figures, and of course this, the movie title came to my mind of hidden figures, right? And I'm really curious, yeah, yeah. and I think it's a conversation that we actually have to have with Linda in 2024, uh, which is basically who are these hidden figures? She cannot mm-hmm. be the only one, but because of her influence, she has to know who some of these other folks are. And I'd love to have some of the other folks on the podcast who are highly respected, highly influential, and can really give valuable insights to the filmmaking community. Yeah, I, that I would love to do. And, I, you know, just to not to pat ourselves on the back, but just to make sure people know that we're not just idiots. We, we do ask every <laughs> guest for like hey, is there somebody else that would be great on the podcast and like, you know, someone that, that is thoughtful and, and is genuine and as knowledgeable as you. So, so we do that and that's a big part of, of our booking process. And, and it tends out, you know, it tends to be sort, sort of the best process. It, it goes back to, to what a, a former employer and friend of mine, Bobby Frist used to always say, which is that good people beget good people. That's right. And, and so I actually prefer that. Like you have somebody that just killed it and it's like, okay, well, what about this person and that person? There, there were a few more because we started this format this year, this indie talk takeover format, which I hope everyone has enjoyed. And that came from actually some data that just really said that people just enjoyed our banter between us, Nick, me and you, and then just bringing in a guest to talk about, their film and it being not so much a journey of their entire life and how they got to where they're going or to where they are and then where they're going, but more about their specific project. And so I know you had some folks that stuck out to you, uh, Jennifer Cooney being one. Yeah. And, and I was going to say Maggie Contreras. So I want to tell you why Ma- yeah. those yeah, two Maggie stuck Contreras out would be so much one. for me. Now, if you watch the Jennifer Cooney episode, you'll know, like she got me, you know, so you know, I'm in that episode mm-hmm. sweating. You know, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. radical truth and radical honesty. And it's like, man, you know, there's so much goodness there. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think that she might have actually used this in our conversation. If she didn't, then it's just mm-hmm. a derivative of what she said to me. Uh, but she mentioned the idea of radical honesty and that it's a scary thing. But if you can get to that place, especially with a spouse, a significant other, your your closest friends, your, your working, yeah. collaborating community, then it's one of the best things ever, right? You're just being completely honest. You're not hiding things. You're not putting on airs. But the other thing that other part of that, the other half of that equation is radical acceptance, 
Because it's mm-hmm. one thing to say, hey, now I'm going to be radically honest with you. And then you get you some honesty in return. And then you bite back. Like, no, 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 no. You don't get to do that. You have to embrace radical acceptance. And that's mm-hmm. tough, too. I mean, you got to be ready to hear it. Like, you got to be ready to say, hey, look, I told you about that stuff in your teeth in the middle of everybody else because I'm being honest. I'm trying to help you out. It's the best thing for you, right? And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and here's the thing. So then you, you that's Jennifer Cooney. Shout out, wildfire. Then you have Maggie Contreras, who talks about taking notes, right? And how you got to be really good about taking mm-hmm. notes from other people. However, you can't lose yeah. yourself in their notes. You can't lose your voice or your intention in the notes that they give. So there's this part of I enjoy the idea of radical honesty that can be delivered through notes. I enjoy the idea of radical acceptance and hearing what people have to say about your work and accepting the critique, but there does have to be balance. And that balance is maintaining your own voice. Cause you imagine if you took every critique that someone gave you, took it to heart and then changed who you were, because of their vision of who you should be? No, bro. Like, that's not going to work, right? You would be changing yourself no. to fit everybody else's model. And again, that's not what Jennifer Cooney is saying when she's saying accept, right? But I think if you mix those two together, that radical honesty, radical acceptance with this idea of take the notes, listen, of course, from respected sources. But as you take those notes, just make sure that you don't change the your intention, you don't change your voice to fit that radical honesty, to fit those notes. And those two things, I think, are just really good for filmmakers to take in in 2024, just saying, hey, be honest with your fellow filmmakers. Stop putting on air. Stop being a cheerleader when they actually need a critique. Or tell them their stuff yeah. isn't quite no, there. That's, you know? no, there <laughs> there, that's, that's, that's the one. There you go. That's the one that you needed to say out loud. That was the, that was the note. Don't it, you can be a cheerleader by giving an honest critique. If you're in the circle of trust, I mean, the big thing about a note is, is if you're taking a note from everybody, that means you don't have anybody like you got to have somebody in your circle that knows what you're going for sort of believes in your art. Always go back to, my buddy who was a rapper and his and and wanted to rap and his wife said I you're not a good rapper I don't like your rapping like it, it doesn't mean that he was a bad rapper it means that the person closest in his life didn't get what she was what he was going for didn't find that he had good taste or talent right you'll kind of know if you got something good going because people will start to circle around you they will start to encircle they'll want to partner with you they'll want to work with you and then from there you already know that they love your work. They already know you, uh, you already know that they think you're talented. So then you can take their note and know that it's coming from a place of love and support. And like you said, cheerleading also, by the way, shout out to charity Wakefield, who was also on that episode with Maggie and, and had some interesting things to share too. And was a total blast and had just a wonderful personality. I would, I would love to have her, uh, both of them back yeah, on it and their film the future maestro uh, maestro and their film maestro check it out so maestro so yeah i love our, our maestro my bad yeah. I, I think that's a that's a great point about notes because notes are hard 
but when they're given to you the right way and by somebody who really thinks you have something, then you can take them and it'll make you a better artist. Also, by the way, when the person thinks you have something, the note's different. So if you go out to anybody and get a note, the note comes back harsh. It could come back and put you in a defensive posture. And it's more about change this, change this, change this. Whereas if it's someone inside your circle that knows what you're going for and believes in your talent and is interested in seeing you succeed in the thing you're trying to do, like they want to be a part of it, meaning not just interested, but like they, they want to be a part of it. It actually, be- the note becomes collaborative. Right. It's the like note the is editor. an actual collaborate. It's like yeah. they come in and say, why don't we try, what if we tried this? And it's a we, it's not, what if you, it's like, what if we tried this? Well, it's like an editor. Like should, I look at this yeah. it's the same way is that the editor is not supposed to make the editor's film. Right. Yeah. The editor is cutting and slicing and dicing. It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate no- note manner. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole point mm-hmm. is like, I'm actually putting the notes by what gets cut on the floor but I'm only making the cuts in a way that allows the vision to be clear and concise. I'm, yep. I'm allowing you as a director and writer to come through as clearly as possible. And I think yep. that's it. Again, back to your point, the folks that give the notes should be within that circle so that they can be radically honest, so that you can have that radical acceptance, and that everyone understands that your voice should remain. That's the big thing. So yeah, going in 2024... Make the notes, take the notes, you know, just, and, and, but just be honest with yourself about the things that you need to change in your own work and then be honest with others because they can only benefit from that. That's right. And um, make sure you get notes from the people who, who want to work with you, not, not uh, people who are, are sitting in the nosebleed seats of your life. Uh, <laughs> we talked about, Titanic. We talked about Lord of the Rings being these incredible movies. Uh, mentioned Ben Hur in there, and all these other movies that have done so great in awards season. I'm going through all the awards movies now. Uh, uh, become a voter, and uh, I, I'll, I'll confess that I haven't made it through as many as I had at this point last year. I did watch Ferrari last night, as I mentioned. I've seen a few of them already, but it's time that we give up the best movie we saw this year. And for me, it was really tough because like I said, I haven't seen all the ones that are, that are come out. So this could be last year. It was easy because I had seen 40 of them already. And I was like, okay, I know which ones I know which one I like. I I knew I loved tar uh, last year. Right. Um, The year before that, I knew I loved drive my car. Or, or maybe that was the same year. I don't mm. even know. But I knew I loved that. I could talk about it. But this year, just to the ones I've seen, I can tell you, like, Blackberry, super underrated. So when I thought about this, I thought, okay, Blackberry is a movie that no one is talking about, but is very, very good. And it, and a totally sort of cool funny interesting take on a biopic uh, we talked about you know barbie and Oppen- oppenheimer are the most successful movies of the year so that can't be denied for sure uh, but the best movie this movie came out in 2022 but i loved it i think it's called biosphere 
And I'm trying to think about producer Papa Bear D. Tell me when that came out. I think it came out late 2022, actually. But that's a that is a incredible independent film. So to me, if you want to see how to ha- make a great movie on independent mud- budget, that's the movie for you. They had one location and two actors. And it is unlike any movie you're, you're ever, ever, ever going to see. So um, that's way up there. So I don't know. I guess right now I would still probably take uh, Oppenheimer right now as maybe just the best overall film. And I know that's corny and on the nose, but when you think about the largesse of the film, how big it was and how beautifully it was shot and how well it was performed. I think it's going to be, I think that's fair. And again, I haven't seen all the sort of, I haven't seen the holdovers. I haven't seen, I think it was like all of us strangers. I haven't, there's, there are some ones that people are buzzing about and talking about. Here's what I'll do. I'll say Oppenheimer for now. And then I will, uh, on the next indie talk, I will revise my list based on the viewings. And then I can have a more clear take. Nick, what is the best movie you saw in 2023? Honestly, don't know. Special special prize to Blackberry. But yeah, go ahead. It's it's a tough one. And I feel like I wasn't even prepared for this question. It's it's like when you you say best, it's difficult in, in my mind's eye. You know, it's it's like you mentioned Oppenheimer. Yeah. You know, and there's these films that are. It's like when I watched Avatar. You know, Avatar, Avatar is up there for you. You loved that one. Yeah, I loved it there's too. there's just there's just a beauty to it. But did that come out this year? No. Um, felt, yeah, I was gonna say, damn. But I mean, just like wrong, the type of though. but the type of film that it is, right? You just mm-hmm. think about how big it is. Uh, VFX score, all acting. There's just yeah. a lot of things that are, but, and I, I, I'm just going to go with me, right? I'm not, I'm not going on anybody's scale, right? This isn't about what I think is going to win. Yeah, just what you, just what, just what you watch. Right, this isn't, yeah, we'll right do a, now. We'll do an Oscar episode later. Just what you watch. Right though. now for me, the best film for me has been American Symphony. American and, Symphony. There you go. Yeah, man. It, that was on Obama's top 2023 20, list. Well, what it, it would have to be as considering that he, he and his wife are executive it, you know. producers. Yeah. I'm not going to give it away for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I'll just say juxtaposition. And as we always, and I think I'll say this, as we always say here, filmmakers are people too. To generalize that, you could say creatives are people too. And one of the things that people should remember most, and I think this you could say harkens back to our discussion about Jonathan Majors and other people, is that celebrities are people too. You I just, love the word harken in the holiday season. Here there you go. go but you, you just don't know. And this is why I, I enjoyed that movie so much. You just don't know what's going on. Like you see yeah, you stuff. Get, you, Right. You, know, you, you, you see, know. but you don't know. And you I know. think that is why that one kind of was really good for me is that it just gets back to everything that we do here. Like this isn't really about the celebrity and all the things. I mean, we've got people who've done some great things, but on some huge studio films, 
But we talk about the humans. We talk about the people. We talk about the real experiences that they have and that they go through in this creative life. I think that's why this conversation is so valuable. I mean, you want to go for the sensational stuff. You go, go read flipping people magazine or, you know, go to TMZ yeah. for that stuff. That's that sugar coated crap, right? Like that's yeah. not what we do. And that's why mm-hmm. for me, uh, American symphony was so great is it's, it's really not, not sugar coating anything. It's giving you a view yeah. into something that you might never have had a view into. I'm liking the Obamas in the film business. They also uh, EP'd Leave the World Behind with Julia Roberts and Mahershala Ali and uh, Ethan Hawke. I watched that a few days ago. They want to say something. And Well, that was the whole thing. So I was at a dinner party, I think two nights ago, one night ago, two nights ago. And the whole the whole circle started talking about this movie, leave the world behind. Like what are the, well, here's the thing, man, like the, here's the themes. And like, so basically it has like a very dystopian theme. It was made by Sam Ismail. So, so the guy who did Mr. Robot, so you know, it's going to have that kind of vibe and uh, directed by him, written by him. And they're like, what are Obama's trying to tell us? What are the Obama's trying to tell us? Oh, and yeah, I'm the, yeah, yeah. and I'm the, I'm the film guy at the <laughs> table. And I'm like, they just got the investment money. It's not really them. <laughs> right. They're not like, I'm not saying they didn't read a script. I'm not saying they didn't say, the, you know, but it's not them. It's, it's Sam. He's the one writing it and directing it and going hey. storytelling. He's the one with the POV, but they were so caught up in it. They were like, they're they like, no, 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 this is a, this is the Obama's trying to warn us. It was a mostly black party. <laughs> right, of, course it's it's mostly was, of course it was. They're yeah, like, yeah. this Obama's trying to hey, warn hey. us. They're trying to whisper in our ear about this. We need to be prepared. Right, right. And I'm like, no, there's been a lot of movies like this. They just haven't been executive produced by the Obamas. Right. And I, and I got to throw this in there for you, man, because there's mm-hmm. been a lot of trailers. There's been a lot of teasers. There's been a lot of clips. There's a lot of stuff going on about that movie. I'm a little salty about Jagged Edge showing up in that in that movie. And the specific song <laughs> that they chose to have Julia Roberts dance to, I just can't. So, I, I'm oh no, no, no! It wasn't. It wasn't Jagged Edge. It was next. It was next. That was next. Yeah, yeah. Next yeah, is that the one next. that's saying. Yeah, I used to play a right. song on piano. Yeah, that was next, bro. Come on. I actually have the. I actually have the dude, piano. Dude. I have the piano book of next whole album. Of dude, yeah. I cannot. Even when that yeah. song came out, yeah, it was more like. This is an SNL track. This is not real. This is a joke of a song. Like, but it was the yeah. hottest thing every every night club it's super or whatever. Popular. But it was just come on, man. Like, this is a real song. I feel a no. little poke <laughs> coming through on you. <laughs> <laughs> In the movie, Sam makes it perfectly silent, Dude. so you can hear the whisper in the front of the song. It's like. I wonder if she can tell I'm hard right now. Exactly. It's in the, like, <laughs> I couldn't, man. And I can't, I it's, can't, I can't with Julia Roberts dancing to that song when I'm like, this song is not a real song. This is a spoof. This is like. People love the song. Well, I like know, I said, there's I songs it. that came out in the it, 90s that couldn't come out today. I know, but Top still. Authority couldn't be a rap group today. A-Ball and MJG could not let out coming out hard. Listen, bro. Uh, I'm talking out hard. about Julia uh, <laughs> Roberts dancing to a song in a movie next, produced by next the Obamas. Next singing a song about. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's it's done for comedic effect, and so the whole thing happens uh, because basically, and this uh, doesn't spoil the movie at all, but basically, she says you can't dance to jazz, and Mahershala Ali's like, of course you can dance to jazz. She's she's like, no, like you this. can't, and then and then. He has this amazing collection of vinyls, and she pulls out next, and the song she plays. And, is, and hey, look, I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm not even <laughs> I, I don't even feel bad about the fact that I got next and Jagged Edge mixed up. No, I don't feel bad because when I was you younger, should feel bad about that. I don't. When I was younger, I got okay. them mixed up all the time. I'm like, they sound exactly the same. See, Boyz II Men and Jodeci came out. They didn't sound the same, bro. They sound different. They sound they completely do. different. Jagged mm-hmm. Edge next, man. They might as well just swap people and came out the same well now, jacket I, edge has the twins and then i, I, I think know. they have a little bit raspier voices i, I know but i'm just saying right. like if you played them you know who, the radio, i don't anyway. you know who next in the audience is loving this shit because <laughs> they were, I have no idea what we're talking about <laughs> yeah, right. we're talking about 90s r&b here <laughs> right. but you know who next tried to sound like even if they did maybe sound like jacket edgers i don't think they did but mm-hmm. if you're saying they did i'll find i'll yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll 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 shake shake hands with you on that one yeah but I know they were trying to sound like Blackstreet. I believe that. I think Jack and yeah, Edge. Was they trying were trying to sound, to sound like, like they were sounding. They were <laughs> right. They were trying to sound like Teddy Riley and yeah. Chauncey and those guys around that time. Before you sort of hit that '96 to 2000 sound, where you had you know Silk and and Stokely and all those groups. Still mad. So Julia Roberts dancing to the track. In a and movie it wasn't great dancing. Produced, no, it wasn't produced by. But I think the that was on purpose. Yeah. Produced. So yeah. Obama's are in the movie business. Yes, they uh, are. What a year this has been, 2023. I've loved doing this podcast with you every bit of the way. The good times, the bad times, the tough times, the mess ups, the 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 amazing moments, the sound bites. It's been incredible, man. So I really want to thank you for taking this this content creation journey with me one more year. Yeah, man. This has been awesome. Uh, the guests have been amazing. I think that has been the the icing on the proverbial cake. And we continue to have you know guests lined up into the new year. And we will continue to have, and I, I, I will never actually ever say that we'll have better and better guests. That is not a thing. We have amazing guests, period. Go back through the catalog, right? If you're on the YouTubes, go through the YouTubes and check them out. If you're on the podcast platform, Spotify, if you're on Apple Podcasts, like go listen. This is great stuff. Everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different life. Everyone has different struggles, but we're all human. And that is an amazing thing to watch and to listen to throughout all of this is how all of that, despite all of that, where people came from, what they're interested in, what their parents did with them, to them, for them as they were growing up, they all decided to settle in on or to pursue this industry and be creatives in filmmaking. And it's exciting and it's new with every conversation. So I, I totally look forward to 2024 and doing this with you, man, because it's, it's great. This is an awesome opportunity we have. Yeah, and in the spirit of of you know everybody sort of being a human along with being a, a creative, uh, and in the in the spirit of not knowing what people are going through, I'll say to this audience, I love you and thank you for for spending time with us. And Nick, I love you, I appreciate you, and love you thank too, you brother. for doing this. And if you want to learn more about this delightful little podcast we've been doing for four years now as nick alluded to a moment ago you can do that by simply going to www.bonsai.film or 
by going to themakeitpodcast.com or by searching for us on your choice of social media network. So YouTube, just search for the Make It Podcast, Instagram, and X, we are at underscore Make It Podcast or underscore the Make It Podcast. Let me fix that. And then on Facebook, you can just search for the Make It Podcast as well. And we will come right up. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me at Chris Barkley on X. I will respond to all your comments there for sure. It's the only social network I'm on. So otherwise I'd give you the rest of them. I don't have really anything else, but, but a Facebook, I am on Facebook. You can find me there too. And if you want to uh, holler at Nick, you can email him at Nick at bonsai.film. Last but not least, go to bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to become a reader of our bi-weekly newsletter, Indie Insights. It is an amalgamation, an aggregation of all the things around the film world that we think might be hard to find or not paid attention to as much as it should. And we bring that to the forefront all in one delicious little newsletter. And so with that, Nick, can you please leave us with the credo? Yes, sir. 2023 is almost behind us. It's a crazy thing to think, but throughout it, I think we have lived the principles that are in our credo, which are be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it again, brother. Love you, producer Papa Bear. Thanks for everything, man. Peace. Peace. <laughs>